This is Daniel Hagedorn for Preparing Kids for Life at PK4L.com, and our podcast is for all things parenting. This is actually day 68 of our 365-day journey with you. You know, my wife and I are so passionate about helping parents reclaim their rightful place as the number one expert on their own kids. So our podcast focuses on time-tested principles any parent can learn and apply to build an emotionally safe home and help their children thrive. So we talk about every parent's most basic fears because these have been our fears too. Things like, I don't have what it takes to be a good parent, or I'm not qualified, or I'm going to mess my kids up. You know, as parents, we will do anything to help our kids. And since our ceiling is our children's floor, we owe it to them to always be learning and growing. For 365 days, you've been invited into our experiment, and we're committed to walking alongside your journey as your personal outfitters, guides, and allies every day, every step of the way. So the title of this podcast is, What Do You Want to Be When You Grow Up? And you know, it's interesting, just for giggles, I, I Googled it, which of course always makes me think to myself, who did we address our questions to before Google? But anyways, <laughs> that's probably a whole other podcast. But the point is, is that I got 1.1 billion hits on, on that. And, and the first couple of pages I scrolled through and it's basically all quizzes so that you can take this aptitude test or you can take this quiz and you can figure out what you're supposed to be when you grow up. As though some online test can somehow encapsulate the entirety of you and then spit out an easily generated answer on the computer. But it started me really thinking, you know, because we, we ask kids all the, I mean, certainly you remember growing up. I remember growing up. Every time you got around an adult for more than two minutes, they seemed to be asking that question. So what are you going to be when you grow up? And of course, they meant it in the nicest possible way. They, they meant no harm by it. But I just wonder if it's even the right question. Because if you think about it, I mean, well, what did you want to do when you were 15 years old? Do you still want to do that? You know, I mean, I always, I, I'm just always amazed at that. I, I think back at when I was growing up and I, when I was five, I wanted to be a fire engine, not a fireman, a fire engine. Right. And, and I, I don't know how I thought I was going to somehow morph into a metal vehicle that put out fires, but, you know, I'm five. And then five years later, you know, I, I was going to I was 10 years old. I was going to be a cowboy. I had no idea really what that entailed. I just liked wearing chaps and cowboy boots and cowboy hats and, you know, running around shooting things up and stuff. I mean, you know, and it may sound a little silly, but but honestly, if you're talking to a 15, 16-year-old kid, young man, young woman, actually, um, I mean, their ideas about things are going to change a lot. Nothing wrong with that. But when we ask them, what do you want to be when you grow up? You're essentially asking them, okay, let's lock you in to the next 20 years. So 
Now we need you to look 20 years into the future and determine exactly what you, what you are and going to be and do. And not only is that a lot of pressure, but it's completely unrealistic because it just doesn't even operate according to how we think. We change our minds. We wanted very different things when we were five years old, 10 years old, 15 years old, and 25 years old. I mean, I even think... Now, I did have, I will, I will say, I will, I will cop to this. When I was in uh, high school, I, I decided that I really wanted to be a teacher. And that desire actually stayed with me. Uh, but, but that's also because I was exposed to a couple of phenomenal teachers. You know, I, I had, um, in fact, three of them. I can remember I had um, uh, Mrs. Barbara Renetti. Uh, Mrs. Judy Jonas and Mr. Art Cobry. And they were absolutely phenomenal teachers. They inspired me because they had actually been teaching for a long time and yet they still loved it. And when you were in their class, uh, you, you knew that they wanted you in their class. They enjoyed having you, they just enjoyed kids. And that was something that inspired me and made me want to do that. And I got to actually get up close and personal and see what they did. And then actually, when I graduated from high school, I went back to Mrs. Renetti and Mrs. Jonas, and they were very gracious in allowing me to come in as a volunteer and teach their class uh, a couple times a week and even work uh, with uh, Mrs. Reddy taught speech and debate, and so I would I would help her out with that and judge in tournaments, and we would you know kind of work on the on the team and strategy and everything, and it was great. I mean, I had an absolute blast doing that. But you know, the the best thing about it was is that I got to learn. Essentially, I got to apprentice to these teachers who were absolutely amazing. I mean, they were amazing teachers, incredible, and so it's. It's the kind of thing that when you get an opportunity like that, you, you can apprentice somewhere and you really get a very good idea whether or not this is something you want to do because they were, they were great. They would critique, well, you know that you did good with this, but you might want to do this. You can try this. This might make this better. I mean, they were, ah, I mean, I just couldn't have asked for a better situation. It's exactly why when I became uh, a teacher myself, I took a little bit of a derail to there because I was in entertainment publicity for about six years, but I finally got back into teaching, which I always wanted to. And when I did, I was a really good teacher and I was really successful at it for 14 years and I did really, really well. And the reason I did so well is because I had great mentors. I had great mentors. Mrs. Renetti and Mrs. Jonas were awesome, amazing mentors. And so I really owe them a ton. And it made me think, you know, this is, this is kind of what, kids should be doing now. You know, you, you think about everybody kind of has a, an area uh, where that they're generally interested in, right? And general things they like to do and general skills, and you can kind of help them. You know, one of these tests might be helpful at giving them a range of options based on their preferences and talents, and that could be fine. But then after that, I wouldn't really rely on these tests if it were me. 
beyond that because then it becomes a matter of exploring what your options are. And that's probably the best question to ask. What are my options when you look ahead to the future? And then you can sort of step into these opportunities and make the most of them. So for example, let's say that um, you wanted to be, uh, I don't know, well, I'll just, I'll just take a page out of my own life. So let's say you wanted to go into entertainment publicity. You know, you could go uh, look at an intern program or possibly even an apprentice type program, but but you can use use an intern program, go in there, and then you can get up close and personal inside that business. And you will get a much better view of whether or not this is truly what you want to do, right? Because you're actually in it. And one of the things I found as, as in that sense is that people always like to hire from within. And if they can't hire from within, they will actually talk to the employees who are already there and say, hey, do you know anybody that could fill, you know, whatever the position happens to be? And then if they can't get something from that, then they'll start running ads and they'll start putting that out there. But you know, I, I've had enough friends in HR to know how that works. And so here's here's the benefit of an internship is you get a, like I said earlier, you, you get a up close and personal view of whether this is something that you really want to do with your life. And if it is, great. Now you have a foot in the door. Now you're already known. Now you've already demonstrated that you're good at this, that you have an aptitude for it, that you have a good work ethic, that something you really enjoy. And then you can actually have a conversation and say, hey, what what are you looking for when you hire somebody? Because I'd like to work here someday. And you already have a foot in the door because you've interned there. Or, and this is equally as valuable, by the way, or you go, you know, this really wasn't what I thought it was. I'm not really liking this at all. That's great because now you've eliminated an option. It's fantastic. You know, finding the option is just as good as eliminating one while you're exploring what your options are. Now, obviously, that, that can only continue for so long because there, there will come a point where you're confronted by the realities of bills and life and, and things like that. But while you're young, gosh, what a great opportunity to sit and think about what your options are and then go out and explore those options. You know, actually enjoy that. Far too often we have we have kids nowadays that, you know, they'll they'll come out of college because they've been told that you're supposed to get a college degree. It's the golden ticket to Willy Wonka's chocolate factory and and then they come and they find out that, wow, I mean, according to the latest statistics of the Bureau of Labor, uh, the underemployment and unemployment among college graduates is, is staggering. I mean, and when you think about it, only 24% of the jobs in America currently require a college degree. And Investors Business Daily did a, a survey a number of years ago, and they found that only 16% of people that even do have a college degree are actually using that degree in the field they're currently employed in. So you start to look at that and you go, you know, it's not, again, it's not anti-college, but boy, we've really been sold a bill of goods. We've been told that college is the end-all be-all and it's not. And if, and if you need more evidence of that, 
I, I recommend you go on a, on a website called College Dropouts Hall of Fame, and it just has <laughs> by alphabet it's organized alphabetically. You just go through all the people who are millionaires and multimillionaires and billionaires who never graduated from college, some of whom never even graduated high school. Now, the thing is, is that if we if we step back from the path that everybody's saying to go on and said, you know, what is what are, what am I really good at? And what am I really passionate about? And Ken Robinson wrote a great book on this called The Element. And he talked about when you find where your passion merges with your talent, you are in your element. And that's where you should start looking for what are my options in my element. And you know, if you don't have, uh, if you haven't spent six years going to college, and if you haven't, which is the average time it takes to graduate now, and if you haven't gotten $37,000 in debt, which is the average debt load now, you know, you actually have a lot more options. You can actually explore and and even find jobs that, wow, this really isn't what I thought it was going to be and move on. And that's fine because you don't have all that debt hanging over your head. And you you have a kind of a, almost like a six-year window now to really explore and figure out what your options are inside of your skill set and your passion. And then you can actually step into a job that you enjoy going to. You know, I, I did entertainment publicity for six years. I told you I kind of derailed my, my original plans. And, you know, it paid really well. But I was miserable. I was absolutely miserable. And you know, it's funny. You don't realize how unhappy you are until you get out of that situation. And I had only been teaching probably about two months. And I'll never forget this. My wife said to me, you know, you're a completely different person. And it caught me so off guard. I, I kind of had to think about it for a second. I'm like, you know what? You're right. I am so much happier. I'm so much happier. I, I mean, it's you. You really can't. You really can't put a price on waking up every day and actually looking forward to going to work. And that was the difference between all the other jobs that I did and teaching. Teaching, I actually, I woke up every day. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to see my kids. I can't wait. To, <laughs> I can't wait to hear what they're gonna say because every every day, you know, there was just there was something that somebody was gonna say at some point. It was just it was amazing. And it wasn't until really this this last year of of my final year of teaching when everything was so overregulated by the administration that I was in and everything was so geared around passing the star test and getting kids in the star test and that was even what I was told in my interview is you better you better pass you better get 100% pass rate in the star you know I mean it's just I've talked on a number of occasions on other podcasts about how I feel about standardized testing. And of course, there's tons and tons and tons of documented evidence to support what I experienced in 14 years in the classroom concerning standardized testing. It's absolutely useless as a metric. Um, But, you know, other than that, what a joy it was to teach. And even now that's led into getting to do what I do now, you know. And working with parents, and then because parents are really the ones that, like I like I say all the time, they are the number one experts on their own kids, not me. You know, having a certification in, in secondary education didn't make me an expert on everyone else's kids. Everyone else is the expert on their own kids. 
The only, the only kid I'm an expert on is my own. That's it. That's it. I, I, no one else. And so, you know, that's why, you know, when I talk about things, I, I talk about things from the standpoint of principles versus practicals, you know, because principles are things that they apply to everybody. They're universal. They're, they're as true today as, as they were yesterday and as they will be tomorrow. Now, practicals are, are different. Practicals work for individuals and individual circumstances. So the practicals say that work great for my daughter might not work for your daughter or your son at all. Because again, practicals have to be adapted to the individual. And the only way that you can progressively adapt them to the individual is by experimenting. And the only way you can really successfully experiment is if you have some patience with yourself and realize that it, it's going to take time because experimentation is a process. And also if you have some grace on yourself, because you know what? Every experiment doesn't end up the way that you would like it to. Sometimes it just doesn't go that way. And so you have to give yourself, cut yourself a little slack, give yourself a little grace in that. But in the meantime, you know, I, I just, I just want to focus on the principles in this. And this is why, you know, this, this isn't about telling you your child should do this, your child should do that. It's just saying, you know what? Figure out where the passion is. Figure out what excites their interest. Figure out where their skill set is. Help them help them figure that out. Help them cultivate that. And then that gives them a whole range of options to start looking at. Like what are my options in this? And then they can start looking around and seeing. And you know what? They may end up choosing an option that that requires a college degree. If and if it does, so be it. Great. Then then college degree is the right move. But if not, you know, again, all I'm suggesting here, the principle that I'm I'm proposing is intentionality. We just have to be intentional. And part of being intentional is being informed about what the options are rather than just automatically reflexively accepting whatever, you know, the conventional wisdom of the moment happens to be, you know? And again, I, I think when we start looking around at, at just the economic realities, we find, you know, um, what happens when these kids leave school, they, they end up taking jobs oftentimes that have nothing to do with, I mean, I can't tell you, you know, in Austin here, I can't tell you how many waiters and waitresses at restaurants are around here that are college graduates. And you know what? I was a waiter. I'm not down on waiters. There is nothing wrong with honest work. I don't care. I used to bust tables too. I mean, there's nothing wrong with honest work. I'm just saying, I don't think that's why they went to school for six years and got in an average debt of $37,000 to wait tables. And, you know, waiting tables is one of those jobs that you sort of do that while you're building up to something else. It's not, it's not typically a career move. It's something that you, you, an entry level position that you use to leverage into something else. Right. And so what's, what's happening is we're really allowing, um, we're allowing our, our kids to, to get into a situation where they're cut off from options because now they can't really afford to go really think about what they want to do because they've just got to get a job somewhere, start working and paying down their student loan debt. They just got to take whatever they can get. And the other thing is, is now that they're in that debt, that means that if they're even able to qualify for a car loan, they're paying a much higher interest rate. 
If they're even able to qualify for a home loan, they're paying a much higher interest rate. Their whole life just became more expensive because of this. Now, again, it all I'm not anti-college, but you know, we really have to, to take a good, long, hard look at the pros and the cons to figure out what the best options are. And ultimately, of course, you know, our, our kids, they grow up, they, they turn 18, and they're they're making their own options. And all we can do is hope that they are smart about the way they approach things. So anyways, in answering this question, what do I want to be when I grow up? You know, I, I'm exactly what I wanted want to be when I grow up now, but it, it took a while to get there. And and part of that was, was really exploring my options and really being willing to pursue where my, my passion and my skill set led. And, you know, it's the same thing that I, I tell my daughter and and it's the same thing that we live by. So in any case, I just hope that helps a little bit. But I just want to say thank you so much for listening. There are literally hundreds and thousands of podcasts out there. We're very, very aware of that. You chose to give us your time, which we're so grateful for. Definitely check out our website, pk4l.com, for more resources. And please click on the link in the show description to download your free ebook, Building an Emotionally Safe Home, as our gift to you. Remember, we are with you every day, every step of the way. Until tomorrow, have a great day.